0: The Peter Schiff Show. Let's get straight to the point. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's YahooFinance.com. Peter Schiff again with another live Sunday night podcast. You know, the reason I decided to do another Sunday night is the last Sunday nights was very well received. We got a lot of people that listened and watched, and so I thought maybe Sunday nights were good. And so I decided to do this one on a Sunday night. You know, I just finished watching a movie with my family. The only reason I want to mention it is because they all enjoyed it so much, I thought I'd throw it out there as a recommendation. It's an old movie that I watched as a kid, Back in 19, or came out in 1968. I mean, I didn't watch it in 68. I watched it in the 1970s. But the movie is called The Great Race. And if you haven't seen it, you should watch it with your family. They'll really get a kick out of it. I laughed a lot, even though I've seen the movie before. But it is a a very well-done movie. A Blake Edwards comedy with Jack Lemmon, Tony Curtis, um, Peter Falk, Natalie Wood. A lot of uh, good people in the movie. You know, they actually based the Saturday morning cartoon on that movie, The Wacky Races, which I used to watch along with a lot of other cartoons when I was a kid. So, if you're looking for a family movie, you know, it's not a new one. You know, it's an old movie, but a lot of people might not know about it. You know, some of you younger people, I'm 60 years old now, so uh, just just I watched it on HBO Max. So I don't know. You know, that's you know, it's there. I don't know where else it is, but but check it out. Anyway, back to the Peter Schiff show. So first thing I want to talk about is what happened on Friday, because when Friday opened up, gold was at about 2040. had a big rally on Wednesday and Thursday. It was a new um, high for the year for gold. In fact, it was up about 12 percent on the year, which is pretty good because we barely finished a quarter and we had a 12 percent move up in gold. You know, a lot of people have been hiding out in treasuries this year because they thought they wanted to play it safe. You know, let me get a 4% yield on my U.S. Treasuries. Well, the problem is the dollar is losing a lot more value than 4%. I mean, in terms of gold, it had lost 12% of its value. So that's triple, you know, that 4% yield. So you're not getting anywhere near enough yield to compensate you for what you're losing by hiding out in cash, which is why I tell people not to do that. Because I think the losses are going to mount up. So gold was out of 52-week high on Thursday at the close. You know gold stocks continuing to move up, but still a long way to go to get to uh, you know their highs. But then we got some economic news that came out on Friday that should have been bullish for gold. Right? The news was one we got retail sales, and they were way below estimates. They were supposed to drop by 0.4. And they drop by 1%. And again, remember, retail sales are not adjusted for inflation. So the actual volume of sales is is down even more because we know prices are are going up. And so if sales are down in in dollar terms, so then they're really down in volume terms. So that happened. And also we got some manufacturing numbers that were weaker than expected. And also, you know, capacity utilization jumped up to 798 which I think is a a bad sign. That was a big spike. This is the highest it's been in a while. But the closer our factories get to capacity, and if we still have lower production, that shows you that we're running up against our own ability to produce. And so that means less supply, and that is an inflationary number. But the overall manufacturing production numbers were weak. Retail sales were weak. You would have thought, oh, that's bullish for gold. Because that gets traders thinking about, oh, you know, the Fed can't hike as much or they're going to cut more. The economy is weaker. But instead of rallying on that news, gold tanked. In fact, it dropped, I think, $45 an ounce at its lows. It got back down below $2,000 an ounce. Now, it didn't close there. It rebounded a bit, down about $35 on the day. So it closed the day and the week above $2,000. About $2,000 and five. Let me check out where it is now. It's down about a buck. It's actually, no, now it's down four bucks, 2001. And as I've been saying, I think that anything below 2000 now is the buy. I think this is the low end of this trading range. I just don't expect us to stay in this range very long. I mean, we're in it now, uh, but I think we're going to break out And we're going to keep moving higher because the fundamental news, the technical news is just too bullish uh, for gold. Now, one of the reasons that gold rallied earlier in the week, ironically, it had a big rally on Wednesday, the day after I did my last podcast, when we got the CPI numbers. And again, the reason gold rallied was because the CPI number came out uh, weaker or cooler than expected. They were looking for a year-over-year increase in CPI of 5.2%. And instead, it only rose by 5%, right? So not as much inflation as they thought. In fact, that was the lowest year-over-year gain since May of 2021. Now that shows you how much inflation we've had because you have to go all the way back to then to find a year that was less than 5%, right? So there's a lot of inflation here but it was lower than they expected. But still, if you look at the core, I mean, the core was still up 0.4 in one month. That's still a big increase. Year over year, that's 5.6%. But even if you annualize that last month's core at 0.4, that annualizes to more than 5% annual inflation at the core, right, which excludes food and energy. And so how anybody can look at these numbers And conclude that the Fed is anywhere near winning its inflation battle. Look how much the Fed has already raised rates, and that's all they've achieved. And again, I think that the numbers we're getting now are kind of the bottom because look at oil prices. I mean, oil got back above $83 a barrel during the week. Now, it didn't hold the 83 handle. I think it closed at $82 or $82.43. I'm looking at it now, is where it closed. And the US dollar index. Even though it rallied on Friday uh, when gold sold, sell, sold off on Thursday, we actually broke 101 on the dollar index, so that was a new low for this move. Now we rallied back up, and um, in the dollar index, but we're still below 102. I think we closed at 101 spot 50, and I'm looking at it now. It's up to about 10170 here this evening, but a very weak dollar and strong oil prices, to me, those are more forward-looking indicators. And the reason that the headline number has come down, and it's come down to 5%, which is still a big number when you're looking at supposedly a 2% target. But one of the reasons for that was that oil price had come down. Well, they're going up now. And clearly, with all these production cuts and the weak dollar, those forward-looking indicators of inflation would tell you That inflation is going to be a lot uh, stronger in the future. Uh, And so looking at these CPI numbers and thinking that it's going down doesn't make any sense. But what also doesn't make any sense is the fact that gold rallied again on the idea that there's not as much inflation as we thought, and so the Fed's not going to have to hike as much or they can cut sooner. Traders are right to be buying gold on the inflation news, but they're wrong in their thinking that inflation is going away. It's not going away. Inflation is gonna get worse, but that's actually more bullish for gold than what they think, which is that inflation is gonna go down. And the ironic part about it is, to the extent that the inflation numbers get better, and that means that the Fed can be easier with its monetary policy, or the markets believe that, that immediately sinks the dollar, causing commodity prices to rise, so the idea that inflation is coming down automatically means it's going up because the perception that inflation is coming down leads to weakness of the dollar, which leads to strength in commodity prices, which will you know, be factored into the CPI. But that's the news that came out on, on Wednesday that, that caused gold to spike. It was up like $30, I think, on Wednesday following that, you know, that softer than expected inflation news even though it's inflation that is really driving people into gold and that will drive people. In fact, I watched an interview on CNBC with Warren Buffett. And if you can read between the lines on what Warren Buffett was saying, because, you know, he really is a coward in in, in many senses, you know, um, because he's afraid to speak the truth. I mean, he knows the truth. You could tell that he knows the truth. And I've talked about this for a long time, that if I had, if I was in a room with Warren Buffett, and the two of us were there, and there were no cameras and no reporters, and we spoke off the record, we would hardly disagree uh, uh, on stuff. So we're very much in the same camp. I know that. He's just afraid to publicly come out and acknowledge that he's in that camp. He, he wants to still cheerlead for the United States. And you know he, 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 he wants to be liked because he's so rich. And so he feels that he has to say certain things in order for the public not to resent him. For his, his wealth. But he was talking about inflation. And he basically said, look, inflation here to stay. He said, you got to buy stocks as a hedge. You got to buy Berkshire Hathaway. I mean, we're a hedge against inflation. And he said, the reason that inflation is here to stay is because we're a democracy. He said that politicians want to get reelected. And so they want to promise free stuff. That's exactly what I'm saying. And how do they pay for the free stuff? They create inflation. This is exactly what Warren Buffett was saying, and so he said because he knows that politicians always want to get reelected, they're never going to stop inflation because that contradicts uh, their agenda of re-election. But the thing that really bothered me about the interview is that he won't call these politicians out on it. He won't, you know, he won't reprimand them for putting their own political careers ahead of their country. I mean, supposedly, aren't they there to serve their country? Shouldn't their country come before their own career? I mean, that's what you would expect, that they would at least sacrifice a reelection. I mean, you have guys that go to war, and they risk their lives in battle for the country. We're not asking a politician to risk his life. I mean, he's not dodging bullets if he votes to cut government spending. The only thing he risks is that he doesn't get reelected. Big deal. But they're not even willing to take that tiny risk. And Warren Buffett won't even call him out on it. But even what frustrated me more about the interview is and I, the, the lady that was interviewing him. I, I, I forget. You know, maybe it was Becky Quick or I forget who it was on CNBC. But it was one of the female reporters. And I know he likes to talk to women reporters. Um, and so normally that's who interviews him. But. She asked him this question. Well, Warren Buffett, what would you do, right? If you were in charge, right? Because you're, you know, you're not running for office, right? What do you think they should do? And he wouldn't say. He, he didn't even have the guts to say what he would do. Now, I know he knows what to do. We've got to cut government spending. We've got to cut Social Security. We've got to cut Medicare. But he's not going to say that because everybody will jump all over him. Oh, Warren Buffett, you want to cut what, oh, uh, Social Security? Well, you're so rich. What do you care about Social Security? But what about, you know? the average guy. You just don't give a damn, right? So he's afraid. But if he's afraid to speak the truth about what needs to be done, he can't criticize politicians who won't speak the truth because he doesn't even have an election. What's his excuse? He's got no excuse, yet he can't even say what he knows that our elected leaders need to do. But the takeaway from this interview is that inflation is not going away. It is here to stay, and it is going to get worse. So all these numbers are just noise. All the people who are looking for some evidence that inflation is going away, they're wasting their time. It's not going away. The evidence will never reveal that, as long as we have these big budget deficits. And by the way, they reported um, during the week, they got the... Uh, Deficit for the first half of the fiscal year. And this is the official deficit that they admit. And it was $1.2 trillion in six months. That means you're looking at $2.2 trillion, assuming the next six months are the same as the first six months. They'll probably be worse. You know, even though you got some extra tax revenues coming in uh, for income tax. And by the way, I think Monday, uh, tomorrow was the deadline to file your tax returns, you know, it was would have been April 15th, but that fell on a Saturday. So I think it, it goes over to Monday. Uh, to, you know, my dad used to call April 15th, April Fool's Day, you know, uh, because he said that's when everybody filed a tax return, even though no long re- no, no law required them to do so. Um, and, and technically, I, I think he was right, but it doesn't matter, because we live in a, a country where we no longer have a rule of law. We're a nation of men not laws and the constitution and even the internal revenue code don't apply uh so if you don't file you know you they could punish you they could put you in jail so you know i recommend that everybody file um and and, and ignore my dad's advice but i think i always got a kick out of it thinking that you know he would he would say april 15th was april fools day but but anyway because the, the government usually gets a little bit more revenue, right, in April, because they get people paying their taxes. But I still think that the second half of the fiscal year could end up with a bigger deficit than the first half, because more of these low-yielding bonds are going to mature, and um, they're going to have to start uh, paying higher interest uh, on that debt. But the point is, these deficits are huge, and and getting bigger, and so that guarantees. That inflation is here to stay and it's going to get higher because how are these deficits going to be financed? We're not going to get tax hikes on the middle class, even if they pass tax hikes on the rich and they haven't even been able to do that. But even if they do that, it's barely going to raise any revenue. And in fact, it may backfire and lose revenue. They're not going to cut any spending. I mean, even the Republicans aren't willing to cut any spending. right? So no one's going to cut spending. No one's raising taxes. So how are they going to pay for these deficits? Exactly the way Warren Buffett said they will by creating inflation. So it's here to stay. It's going to go up. And that means gold is going ballistic. The gold price is on a launch pad right now, ready to go to the moon. Uh, When it takes off, it's hard to say. But again, you just got to get on board this rocket in gold, silver, commodities. You got to get out of U.S. dollars or paper because inflation is gonna eviscerate its purchasing power.
1: What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify?
0: I want to pick up this segment by talking about the Federal Reserve Minutes that were also released during the week after my last podcast. And the most significant aspect of these minutes was that for the first time, the Federal Reserve members acknowledged that their expectation is for a mild recession. This is the first time I've seen that. In fact, the Federal Reserve never expects a recession. They're all all—they're always optimistic. And so any recession that we've ever had has been a complete surprise to the Fed. Right? It's not like they said, I think we're going to have a recession. And then there was one. They keep saying, no, there's no recession. We're not going to have a recession. And then they have to come back and say, OK, we're in recession. Right? Because normally they're saying there's no chance of a recession when we're already in the recession. So the fact that they're willing to forecast a recession is a big thing. And if they're saying the recession is going to be mild, that probably means that they think it's going to be horrific because they normally won't even acknowledge a recession, even when one is obvious. Now, they're never going to say, oh, we see a horrible recession. Oh, yeah, this thing is going to be really bad. I mean, there's no way they're going to say that. So the fact that they're even willing to admit that there's going to be one, now they're going to have to condition it by saying, well, we're going to have this recession, but don't worry, it's going to be mild. How the hell do they know? I mean, it's like once a recession starts, how can you be so sure that it's going to be mild? Because all sorts of things could happen in a recession. You know, you don't know. I mean, maybe when they started World War I, they thought it was going to be a little war. Right. And then it ended up being a huge world war. You don't know what's gonna happen. I mean, you start a war, you shoot somebody, and you never know where it's gonna go. So, you know, this goes into uh, a recession. Who the hell knows? Especially when you look at the gravity of the situation. Also, if the guys at the Fed had any appreciation of, of history, they would know that there is a tendency for a bust to be proportionate. To the boom. And that makes sense. The bigger the boom, the bigger the bust. And why is that? Because during the boom, that's when all these mistakes are made. Like banks loading up on low-yielding long-term treasuries and mortgage-backed securities, right? And then you get Silicon Valley Bank failing or signature bank or stuff like that. People taking out mortgages. They can't afford to overpay for homes because they use adjustment rate mortgages, right? All kinds of dumb things. Companies that don't make any money are able to raise billions of dollars and and go public and and people will buy NFTs. There are all kinds of crazy things can happen, you know, when everybody is drunk on cheap money. So the longer the cheap money is there, the the more people get drunk and the drunker they get and the stupider uh, decisions they make when they're in that state of intoxication. Right. And so when they finally wake up, right, you have to fix more mistakes. So it makes sense. If you have a, a small boom, well, you have a small bust. You have a big boom, you know, you got a lot of mistakes to correct, you get a big bust. Well, the boom that we've just had is without a doubt the biggest boom we've ever had in a business cycle. I mean, I call it the everything bubble, and even a lot of other people now will admit it was a bubble in everything. So if this is the biggest bubble ever, and it, it, it accompanied the biggest increase in debt ever. Right, the biggest monetary expansion debt expansion when were interest rates at zero never you know but we had it zero for 10 years plus the fed's balance sheet went from you know what uh, 800 billion 700 billion whatever in, in in 2008 to 9 trillion right the national debt now is 31 trillion 31 and a half trillion right so we had this massive boom and now the fed just expects it to be followed followed by a mild bust. Why? Why should it be mild? You know, it should be severe. I mean, if we got away with a mild recession, that would be, I mean, completely crazy to get that lucky. In fact, I don't even think a mild recession is capable of solving the problem. Because remember, we make all these mistakes during the boom. We count on the bust, the recession, to correct those mistakes. Well, we made so many mistakes during this everything bubble that it's impossible to correct them with a mild recession. If we have a mild recession, it's a failure because the recession won't be able to accomplish what needs to be done. See, that was the problem with the recession we had in 2001, 2002. That was a mild recession following the bursting of the dot-com bubble. George Bush always talked about how that was the mildest recession ever. Exactly. That was the problem. We never really resolved the imbalances of the dot-com bubble. We just pushed them all into the housing bubble. So the reason that we had such a big bust in 2008 was because the 2001-2002 bust was so small. And why was it so small? Because the Fed cut rates to 1%. Never should have done that. It should have allowed a bigger recession in 2001, 2002, and then we wouldn't have had the housing bubble and the financial crisis in 2008. And again, had they done the right thing after 2008 and learned from their mistakes in 2001, 2002, we wouldn't have blown up the even bigger bubble that has just popped, and we wouldn't be on the verge or in the early stages of a far worse financial crisis and a much deeper recession. Than the Great Recession, which they're now going to have to rename because this recession is going to be greater, despite the fact that the guys at the Federal Reserve are so confident it will be mild. And remember, they didn't see the Great Recession of 2008, 2009, which actually started in the fourth quarter of 2007. And in the middle of 2008, they were still saying that we weren't even going to have a recession when we were already in the middle of the worst recession since the Great Depression. So if they couldn't see that recession coming when we were in it and said we wouldn't have one, and now they're finally admitting we're going to have a recession, but they're you know, qualifying it by saying it's mild, you better believe that this recession is going to be far worse than 2008 if even those blind Mr. Magoos at the Federal Reserve can see this one coming when they completely missed the last one. Couple of more points that I want to make in this podcast. One, you know, not only did I watch um, Warren Buffett interviewed, but I watched an interview with Janet Yellen, current Secretary of the Treasury, former head of the Federal Reserve. She was on CNN, and I was watching an interview there, and she actually admitted in a conversation that America's decision, the Biden administration's decision to weaponize the dollar and sanction Russia the way it did, that that action was putting the reserve status of the dollar in jeopardy. She recognized that. She said that this is creating an incentive for other countries to move away from the U.S. dollar over time. Maybe not that it would happen immediately, but that you know, it would begin the movement out of the dollar But in her mind, it was a risk worth taking because she said this is a very important tool and, you know, we use it very sparingly and, you know, only when we have consensus among our allies. But the fact that she would even say that it's worth putting the dollar status at risk shows you how little she appreciates the tremendous benefit that the United States enjoys as a result of that status and what would happen the severity of the consequences if we lost it. You never want to put that in jeopardy if you understand that. Uh, so the fact that she could admit that, yes, this does put it in jeopardy and that they're willing to accept that risk just shows you how completely foolish they are. But they maybe they see that it's happening because they don't want to act like they were completely blindsided. But the main reason that Janet Yellen said that she didn't think it was a serious threat in the short run, is because she says that there's no other country that has a currency that the world could use in replace of the dollar. And maybe she's got a point there, but what Yellen is overlooking is that they don't have to use another currency. They've got an alternative that is better than any currency, and that is gold. And what is going on? Read the news, central banks around the world continue to be big buyers of gold. Why are they doing that? It's not an accident that they're doing that. Central banks are talking about moving away from the dollar and so they're buying more gold because they're going to rely on real money, not the dollar. And after all, if America has some political advantage, with the dollar as the reserve currency, and you don't like that, why would you want to give that advantage to some other country? Why would you want to give it to Europe? Why would you want to give it to Japan? Why would you want to give it to China? You wouldn't want to give it to anybody. Nobody wants to be in a situation where they're giving another country a weapon that could eventually be used against them. Well, gold is not controlled by any one government. Nobody can print gold. Nobody can sanction you out of your gold if you custody it in your own borders. The only way you're going to get another country's gold is to invade the country and take it by force. right? We don't have to do that with the dollar. We don't have to invade anybody. We don't have to win any battles. We just push a few buttons and we've sanctioned you. But you you, you avoid that by having gold. So if Yellen thinks that the dollar is safe because there's no other fiat currency, that could replace it she's wrong because you don't need another fiat currency to replace the dollar because you've got gold which is much better now of course i think other fiat currencies would actually be better than the dollar but it would make no sense to make that switch because then you create another potential problem so the solution that is obvious is gold and the fact that she's missing that is significant and it's why this movement out of the dollar is actually going to happen much faster than anybody thinks. It's because gold is going to be what replaces it. And that's why you want to buy your gold now while the price is still $2,000 an ounce because by the time the world realizes that this is in fact happening or it's already happened, gold can't possibly be $2,000 an ounce. I think it'll be north of 10,000 in a world where the dollar is now the reserve instead of I mean, where gold is the reserve instead of the the U.S. dollar. Now, I want to also talk a little bit about Chicago because I mentioned, I don't know if it was my last podcast, but I forget which podcast it was uh, after we got the results of the mayoral election in Chicago. And they elected a Marxist to be the mayor of Chicago. And I talked about how this is, you know, Really, a disaster. I mean, they 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 went from bad to worse in this election, and I talked about the fact that I expected a lot of businesses were going to leave Chicago, and and they are. Uh, but I read a story and I saw this video <coughs> about Walmart decided to close down four stores in in Chicago, and the reason they're closing them down is because they're losing money, right? Now, why are they losing money? Well, I think number one, uh, Chicago. Uh, exacted all kinds of like demands on, uh, on Walmart just, I think, to allow them to open up. I think they, they required certain things in their wages and their hiring practices, which ended up being problematic for, for Walmart. But more significantly recently is the crime. I mean, there's widespread looting going on. There's so much theft in these stores that they can't make any money because so much of their merchandise is getting stolen, right? And so they say, look, we're out of here. We're closing these stores. You know, we're losing a bunch of money. We're closing these stores, right? So I watched this video, and you got this huge group of protesters in Chicago, right? The the government, right? These are, you know, elected officials and maybe workers, and they're all protesting, and they're blaming Walmart. They're saying this is a disgrace. Walmart should be ashamed of itself. How dare they leave, right? And they're saying we deserve, you know, to have a place to shop in our own community. We deserve to have jobs in our own community. What do you mean we deserve? Nobody deserves anything. You have to earn stuff. I mean, this is a perfect example of the entitlement culture that we have created here, this welfare state, where people think they deserve stuff. Why? Because you're here, because you were born. You don't deserve, you have to earn. That's what you get. Walmart is a private company, right? The people of Chicago... I got lucky that Walmart decided to open up these stores so that they had a place to shop. And and they they had jobs that were created by Walmart. But why did Walmart go in to Chicago? Because they thought they could make a profit. If they didn't think they could make a profit, they wouldn't have come in, right? They're not a charity, they're a business. They're owned by shareholders who wanna get a return on their investment. They're risking their capital, right? Buying into Walmart, they could buy into something else. And so Walmart goes in there, they try to make a profit and they can't do it because of all the terrible rules and regulations that have been passed by a bunch of socialist politicians who run the city. And then because they don't have enough police or they don't care about crime, uh, everybody starts stealing. I mean, I was thinking to myself where they're saying we deserve a store where we can shop. They mean we deserve a store where we can shoplift. How dare Walmart take away all this stuff that we're stealing? Because what are we going to steal if you don't have any stores anymore? Like, they have a right to steal. You know, of course they don't. This is the mentality. I mean, this city is just going to implode if that's what people think. Everybody there thinks they're entitled to something for nothing. Well, you know what? You're going to get nothing. You're going to get nothing but crime uh, in that city, and everybody is going to leave. This is a complete disaster. America's cities are being destroyed by democracy. Right. But because the, the, the voters are so you know, illiterate or ignorant based on being brainwashed with these government public schools. In fact, it's the public schools that are electing uh, these politicians that are destroying these cities. So America's cities are going to be complete you know, economic wastelands uh, and everybody is going to flee. And this is a disaster that's happening in this country. And it's one of the reasons that the dollar is going to collapse. But I want to finish up the podcast, though, talking about a couple of more significant things that have happened with my bank, Europe Pacific Bank. So the first one is that I had another victory in my defamation lawsuit uh, a few days ago against Channel 9, which is the parent company of 60 Minutes that ran this hit piece on me. And as a result of that, you know, I eventually ended up losing the bank, but I filed a lawsuit against 60 Minutes for defamation because they said all these things about me. They accused me of committing all these crimes and none of it was true, just made it all up, right? And they just put it all out there on uh, on television. And so I sued them and for a year, right? they dragged the whole thing out and they kept saying, we never accused you of doing anything bad. What are you talking about? We never said you did this. We never said you do that. We we didn't accuse you of anything, which of course was a lie. They accused me of all kinds of things. It was obvious, but they kept denying it. So finally we had this hearing, right? And a judge ruled, wait a minute. You, You accused Peter Schiff of doing these seven things, these seven crimes. I mean, seven individual imputations a judge said, "These are all defamatory." Sixty Minutes denied accusing me of any of these things. They said, "We never said Peter Schiff did this. We never said Peter Schiff did that." And the judge said, "What are you talking about? Of course you did. I watched the show. You you accuse him of all these things." So then, right? Sixty Minutes. All of a sudden, you know, or uh, nine. Now they say, "Okay, since you've now ruled that we've accused him of doing all this stuff, we now." claim that he's guilty of doing all that stuff, and we have all the evidence to prove it, which is so ridiculous because if they had all the evidence to prove that I did all this stuff, then why not accuse me of it? They spend a year telling me they never accused me of it, and now all of a sudden they're saying, okay, we can prove he did all that stuff that we never said he did, and we've got all the evidence. Well, that was a lie. Well, so they had to come up with a defense. They've come up with three defenses, right? First, they came up with a defense, And then months later, oh, oh, we don't like that defense. We got a new defense, right? And then months after that, they came up with a third defense. And my lawyers keep saying, these defenses are all BS because there's no evidence there. So we had a motion to strike out these defenses. And of course, you know, nine objected to that. And and so we got a ruling from the new judge. My first judge got promoted, which delayed the whole trial, I finally got a new judge who happens to be Hugh Jackman's brother, right? And so, uh, but I think this guy is pretty good based on my, you know, experience with him so far. But anyway, so the new judge ruled a couple days ago that this third defense is no good. And neither is their second defense because they wanted to amend their second defense with the third defense. And the judge says, no, we're not going to, I'm not going to let you do that because your third defense is BS, and so is your second defense, because there's no evidence here to prove anything. Even if everything that uh, 60 Minutes alleged in their defense, even if all that is true, which it's not, because almost all of it is a lie, but assuming all those lies were true, they would still lose, because none of that proves anything. That's the point. They don't have a shred of evidence to support that I did anything, because I didn't do anything. So they can't possibly have the evidence. So um, their defense got struck out. So they've already ruled that uh, 60 Minutes defamed me. Then 60 Minutes said, well, it's not defamation because we can prove it's true, or it's not defamation because we can prove it's true. Well, the judge just says, well, you don't. Your, your defense is no good, so you can't use it because there's no actual evidence there. Now, what the judge did do, though, is the judge gave 60 Minutes four more weeks to come up with a fourth defense, right? They've already had three defenses that were no good, right? So they have one more bite at this apple. They can come up with a fourth defense. And the judge said, look, you got to come up with a defense that actually has some evidence to prove that Mr. Schiff committed these crimes that you have alleged that he committed. Now, that's a waste of time, because if they had any evidence, they would have included it in their first three defenses. The reason their three defenses were all BS is because they have no evidence they had any evidence, they would have used it. So now I have to wait another four weeks, waste some more time for another BS defense to get, to get struck down so that we can finally move forward with the last part of my defamation hearing, and that is the damages. Hey, you've defamed Mr. Schiff. He's proved it. So now you got to pay up, right? How much damage did your defamation cause Mr. Ship. But you know, the most frustrating thing about this is, and as bad as the defamation was, right, even if you assume, which, and I'm not going to assume this, but just to put the 60 Minutes reporters in the best possible light, which they don't deserve to be cast in, but let's say they were. Let's say that they originally actually believed that I committed these crimes. They didn't have any evidence, but they just had a hunch, right? They thought I was guilty, and they figured, you know, He's going to get arrested. He's going to get charged with something and he probably won't sue us anyway. So, you know, let's just, let's just take a shot and just claim that he's guilty. So we can like scoop this. It'll be a big report. You know, we gotcha. You know, we, we, we outed him. We, 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 you know, we uncovered this crime, right? Let's say they actually believe that, right? Now they figure out they were wrong. Gee, we totally misjudged this guy. He was completely innocent. He didn't do any of the things that we accused him of doing you would think that they would have any, uh, enough integrity to come out and say, oh, we got it wrong. Sorry, we, we accused him and he turns out he's innocent. We feel really bad. We apologize. Yeah, you know, if we caused any damage, we're a major corporation, right? They're publicly traded. It's a massive media company. You know, you know, you know let's make right what we did. I mean, you know, we went out on a limb and it turned out we were wrong. No, no, even after they find out, that everything they said was wrong, they still can't admit that they made a mistake. And they're fighting me tooth and nail. They're doing everything they can, spending millions of dollars, delaying the day of reckoning, which is all inevitable because they know they have no evidence. Just like they knew that they accused me of these things and they lied and pretended they didn't. And then they lied and pretended they had an evidence to prove it when they did. not But anyway, so I won that one one victory. And um, so I will report again when the next phase, you know, when they come up with their BS defense and I'm able to have that struck out. But here is another significant event that happened. And this kind of shows you that, you know, you never know what's gonna happen, right? Things happen, you do something and you can't anticipate all the consequences, right? So the Puerto Rican regulators, decided to shut my bank down. I had had it sold. A company called Kenta was going to buy the bank. They were paying me about 25 million dollars in cash and stock. They were going to put seven million dollars of cash into the bank, right? Re- you know put more they had, they had hired more managers. They hired a president who was two weeks away from starting. This gal was a rock star. Uh, she would have been, I think, the most qualified president of any bank in Puerto Rico you know, of these offshore banks, about 50 of them. I don't think any bank. Had a, would have had a president nearly as competent as this one. I mean, much better, I mean, I my, you know, Mark Anderson was my buddy, passed away. He was a president of the bank. But when he started the bank, he didn't have any banking experience, right? He had to learn learn uh, uh, as he went. But this woman's already been running banks for a long time, you know, very seasoned, very smart. She would have been a great, great president of this bank, right? So all the pieces were in place for Kinta to come in and take over the bank and new management, new board, new ownership, everything was fine. I was out of the way, you know. But then Osef said, no, 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 we're just going to shut the bank down. Um, and the the reason they, they gave was it didn't have enough capital. But, of course, you know, it was going to get plenty of capital if they had approved the sale. And, of course, I offered to put in the capital prior to that. And they, they she, she told me, you know, you don't need to. Everything is fine. So they kind of blindsided me with this, you know, bank doesn't have enough capital. And so they had this press conference. And the commissioner comes out, and I I put the press conference up on my website so you can watch it. If you haven't already seen it, it's got about 25,000 views. Just type in, you know, Peter Schiff, Osif, or, you know, you'll see the press conference. But she comes out, and she makes a big deal about how the bank is insolvent. It's critically insolvent. Now, it turns out she was wrong because the receiver that they appointed, who, by the way, had zero banking experience. They put this guy in charge of my bank. Not that he's a bad guy, but he had no banking experience. I mean, so we had all these experienced bankers who could have been running the bank, but the Puerto Rican regulators decided to put a guy in charge who's never had any experience with any bank in his entire career, right? So he becomes there. But, you know, he can look at books, which apparently Osef couldn't, and he sees, oh, the bank isn't insolvent. You've got a few million bucks more than you owe and was all cash, right? All this stuff about, you know, the banks, fractional reserve banking, banks being underwater on their treasury portfolios. We had no treasury portfolio. We had all short-term cash. We had two or three million more cash than all the deposits and all the liabilities combined. So the bank wasn't insolvent. But osif decides to shut it down. But the big thing was they invite the head of the criminal uh, division of the IRS, the top guy. In, of, he's in charge of like 300, 3,000 like, criminal agents, the guys that do all the crimes in the IRS. So he comes and he talks. And they've got members of the J5, Australia, the UK, all these other governments, they're all there on screens. And they're all talking about the investigation of my bank and how they all believed that we were facilitating money laundering and tax evasion. And, you know, it was this huge investigation. They thought we had numbered accounts. They had all this stuff they thought we were doing. Of course, we weren't doing any of the stuff that they thought we were doing because they investigated the bank for two years and they found that. None of this was going on, right? So so th- these guys were all invited to talk about an investigation that failed. And the, the IRS guy, uh, Jim Lee, says, you know, this investigation didn't end the way we expected because there's no charges being filed against anybody. Of course, because there was no evidence of criminality. You know, when you start a criminal investigation, you expect to indict somebody. You think that there's been crimes committed. When a criminal investigation, doesn't result in a single charge being filed against anybody, well, then they didn't find any crimes. It was a complete waste. So this was a two-year waste of money, waste of time, yet they're all there to talk about it, right? Then, you know, the reporters are kind of confused because they called this big press conference, and so they asked the, the 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 head of OSIF, hey, you know, was there any evidence that the bank helped customers evade taxes or launder money? She said, no, there's no evidence of that. She said, this action that we are announcing here at this press conference has absolutely nothing to do with the J-5 investigation, has nothing to do with these guys that I invited here, right? Because it's got nothing to do with money laundering and tax evasion. We found no evidence of that. We're shutting the bank down because it's insolvent. But of course, it wasn't insolvent. But that was the reason that that she gave. So the question is, okay, so you're shutting the bank down. For reasons that have absolutely nothing to do with money laundering and tax evasion, they have nothing to do with the J Five investigation. Then why is the J Five there? Why are you inviting them to have a to a press conference to talk about allegations that are no, that we know are not true because the investigation ended; it was a failure. But why have them come to talk about allegations that don't apply? And you're 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 making an announcement that the bank is being shut down, and it has nothing to do with the investigation in all these countries that you've invited to talk about money laundering and tax evasion. Now, because OSIF commissioner decided to do that, to have these agents come to talk about an investigation that had nothing to do with her decision to shut the bank, the media immediately began writing more false stories, including publications owned by nine, like The Age. Right As soon as OSIF announces, right, that my bank is being shut down, all the newspaper stories were banks shut down due to money laundering and tax evasion, right? Even though money laundering and tax evasion had nothing to do with the shutdown of the bank because the OSIP commissioner invited all these people to talk about something that had nothing to do with her actions. That's how the media reported it, that it was all due to money laundering and tax evasion. So here's what happened, right, as a result of that. The bank kept a lot of its money with a Portuguese bank called Novo Bank. And that bank held all of our euros, our pounds, our Swiss francs, um, and um, another, you know, there's four currencies that that it held, right? And we used to have more corresponding banks than Novo Bank. We had one more that had some Japanese yen still, but that uh, wasn't a lot of yen that we had. Uh, it was mostly in these other currencies. We used to have a lot of U.S. dollars, but when we lost our Federal Reserve account, which happened as a result of the defamation, because when we got accused by 60 Minutes of uh, committing all these crimes, our auditor quit, right? They didn't want to you know, be associated with us. It's like they didn't want to go down with the ship. So the minute these accusations came out, our auditor quit in the middle of the audit. And so we had to hire another auditor. It wasn't easy to find somebody willing to audit the bank. And so we couldn't get our audited financials in in time. And so we lost our Federal Reserve account because that required these audits to be submitted. And we had a lot of other banks that we cleared with, and they all quit. They all fired us after the articles came out. They, they didn't want to be associated with us. Novo Bank Bank was the only bank that stuck around, right? They're the only ones that that kept our business. So all of our money ended up being in Nova Bank. We used to have it, you know, spread around. But anyway, so Nova Bank, as soon as they See this action, and they read all these stories about the bank and money laundering and tax evasion. Now, apparently, the initial sixty minute story didn't bother them, but the bank being shut down, and you know now the government officially acknowledging uh, that we were the target of this investigation, and all these news reports that the bank was shut down for money laundering and tax evasion. Novo Bank reports this to the Portuguese government, right? as, hey, look at this. This is our customer, and we're going to put this in a suspicious activity. We've got an account for this bank that you know, is, you know, is shut down for money, law, and tax evasion. So the Portuguese government froze all four of the bank's accounts at Novo. Now, we didn't even know about it. We didn't even know, and Novo Bank didn't even tell us. I, we eventually found out, maybe one or two months after the freeze, we were trying to get the money out of Nova Bank, and Nova Bank kept making up excuses why we couldn't get it, but they never told us that the account was frozen. Now, they eventually, they had sent some letter to the bank's offices, but nobody was working there anymore. I eventually stumbled across it. It was all in Portuguese. I had it translated, and I found out that the bank's account was frozen due to uh, the money laundering and tax evasion. And so we had to hire this lawyer. In Portugal. And he said, yeah, there's a criminal investigation of your bank as a result of all these allegations of money laundering and tax evasion. Portuguese government is now investigating the bank criminally, and they've frozen the bank's account. Now, they didn't give a damn about all the individual customers, right? They just say, well, it's the bank's money, and we're going to freeze this account while we do our own investigation. But that investigation was a complete waste of time because the five governments of the J-5 had already spent two years investigating the bank for money laundering and tax evasion and found no evidence of it. Then OSIF, the Puerto Rican regulators, they did a huge three-year audit of the bank. They found no evidence of money laundering and tax evasion. But now the Portuguese government feels that they got to do their own investigation. And so what the lawyer told me, and this is what was really frustrating about it, is the lawyer said, you got to keep this quiet. Because under Portuguese anti-money laundering law, if the government is investi- doing an investigation, you have to be quiet because, you know, you, it, this is part of the rules. You can't tell anybody involved at the bank that the bank is being investigated because it could compromise the investigation. So everyone at the bank was told to be quiet and don't tell any of the bank's customers why we can't send them their money. Because we've been trying to send the money out to these customers for now 10 months. Right. It was almost 10 months ago that the bank was put into receivership, right? No one's been able to get their money. And, and we have this, the, the, you know, the Portuguese government have, has frozen the account. Now, OSIF, they never expected this to happen. But, you know, that's what happens, right? You, you invite, a, you have a press conference. You let a bunch of IRS or guys talk about money laundering and tax evasion. And then you let the media falsely report that the bank was shut down for those reasons. You don't, you don't say anything. Osif never publicly came out to try to correct any of the bad press, right? They just allowed it to happen. And so the next thing you know, Portugal decides to do its own investigation. Now, what I was told by our lawyer in Portugal, and we were trying to just, you know, get this thing done sooner by getting Osif, who eventually wrote a letter to the Portuguese government to explain that there was no money laundering or tax evasion and that the, the media the, the press reports were inaccurate, that the bank was shut down for you know solvency and these other issues that have nothing to do with money laundering and tax evasion. The lawyer told us that they have eight months total, right? They have eight months to file some kind of criminal charge. And if the investigation doesn't result in a charge in eight months, then they've got to um they, they've got to release the freeze. Well, anyway, so eight months goes by. Nothing's happened as far as I know. So now the lawyer goes into court, gets a judge, say, hey, this account's been frozen, it's been eight months. The eight months was up on March 22nd, right? day before my birthday was the eight month anniversary of the criminal investigation in Portugal, which resulted in no findings of criminality. So now that is the seventh government that has investigated the bank and found no evidence of criminal behavior. No money laundering, no tax evasion, which again, if none of these seven governments have any evidence that the bank committed tax evasion or money laundering, how can 60 Minutes have the evidence? If they had it, why didn't they share it with these governments? They would have loved to have had it because then they could have actually charged somebody. But there is no evidence. Again, the whole thing was made up. So we go to court and we find out in court that the government actually released the freeze a month earlier. And they told Nova Bank about it on february 23rd nova bank got written notice that the freeze was removed nova never told us never told the bank just kept quiet we didn't find out until like a month later from and it was just a letter that we got we eventually got it and so as soon as we get it the bank starts calling nova bank this has been a week now okay well send out these wires we've put in all these requests to wire it's over 500 requests to wire out all this money to the bank's customers, and Novo won't do it. They won't even take our phone calls, and now the the bank is going to have to go into court. We have to get a court order. I think they're going to try another letter on Monday to try to get Novo Bank to send out this money. And then the money that isn't getting sent to the customers, based on these individual wire requests that they've been sitting on, you know, for eight months or whatever. The rest of the money is supposed to go to Kinta, which is the company that was initially going to buy the entire bank. And then the regulators said, no, you can't sell the bank. And in fact, they told me I couldn't sell the bank to anybody. I had all sorts of buyers that showed up after they turned down Kinta and the rate and and Osef said, no, you can't sell the bank to anybody. No one's buying this bank. It's getting shut down. Right. Why? You know, did do anything wrong. Right. And if it did do something wrong, it was low capital or, you know, it was. Maybe the management wasn't good, or but we were bringing in all new management, new capital, new board, new president. I mean, all everything was changing. Why why couldn't the bank stay there? Obviously it was in the best interest of the customers, of the employees of Puerto Rico, but no, she just decided this bank's gonna gonna get uh, shut down. So she did approve though, Quinta taking the deposits. So she said they couldn't buy the bank, but it was okay if they bought the deposits. And so all the bank's customers were given a choice. Take your money out right now. And if you don't take it out, it's going to be sent over to Kinta and they have a company uh, that can hold your money. They're in Dubai. It's not a bank, but it was, I mean, I didn't have a lot of time. I had to find a place quickly to send the accounts because what if people didn't have a place for the money? You know, what Osef was threatening to do was if people didn't request their money, it was going to go to the government. The government was going to basically seize whatever money didn't get sent out. So I wanted to make sure that that didn't happen. I would rather have the money go to a company where eventually if somebody was out of town, they were away, you know, they could get their money, right? So Novo has all this money that they're either supposed to send back to the customers or uh, send to Kinta. And then the customers can get it back from Kinta. Well, still they're doing nothing. And so now if they don't respond, I guess, to this new letter, we got to go to court again to try to get a like a, a an injunction or something to force Novo Bank to send out this money. Now, why are they not sending it out? I don't know. I mean, obviously they like having the money there, right? They're not paying the bank any interest on it. Uh, they're earning a bunch of interest. I don't know what their balance sheet is like, but they've been doing everything they can to hold on to that money. And Osif gave them an excuse By shutting down the bank and allowing these government officials to talk about things that didn't apply to the bank, like money laundering and tax evasion, and allowing the media to write more false articles accusing the bank of money laundering or tax evasion. None of these reporters, I don't even think, listened to the press conference. The whole press conference was done for the press because the press knew about it before I did. Remember, I think I pointed this out, but I got a call from a New York Times reporter. On June 30th, early in the morning, the guy calls me up and he says, Do you have any statements on you know OSIF closing your bank? It's going to be shut down. You know, the J5 investigation is causing your bank to be shut down. And I'm like, What are you talking about? That, that can't be. And so I email the bank's lawyer, right, who works closely with the Puerto Rican government, OSIF. I mean, that's her job. She's there all the time. She's got a lot of friends there. I send her an email. I said, hey, a reporter from New York Times just called me, said, my, my bank's going to get shut down today. And she said, that's impossible. In an email, no way, it's got to be another bank. It can't be your bank. There's no way I would know. There's, they would never do this. Well, four or five hours later, sure enough, we get uh, notice, your bank's being shut down It ceases to desist. There's a press conference in another hour. The New York Times knew that the press conference was going to happen at 2 o'clock. They knew that first thing in the morning. So this whole thing was done for the media because the media knew hours before the bank that the bank was going to get shut down. They knew the time that the press conference was held. And who told them? The J-5. It wasn't OSIP. The IRS, the J-5, told these reporters that my bank was going to be shut down, even though the shutdown of my bank had nothing to do with their investigation. Their investigation of my bank came up empty. They found nothing. But why were they doing this? Because they're trying to help the reporters. They're trying to legitimize the original story, which was completely illegitimate. I think the one thing that screwed up their whole plan was that the commissioner went off script because, you know, they were hoping that everybody would just assume that the bank was shut down for money laundering and tax evasion. Now, if the IRS found any evidence that the bank was doing money laundering or tax evasion, then they could have shut it down. They could have filed criminal charges, but they found nothing. So they had no power so but osif uh, was able to shut it down and so they hoped everybody would just assume that that's why it was shut down what they didn't bet on was that some reporter would actually ask some questions and then that would force the commissioner to ad- admit that there was no money laundering or tax evasion involved no evidence of that was found the bank was shut down for reasons having nothing to do with allegations of money laundering or tax evasion or other financial crimes and she she mentioned the other reasons but also if you actually read right the 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 cease and desist that shut down the bank, nothing about money laundering or tax evasion. If you read the agreement that I made with Osif to liquidate the bank, the reason for the liquidation was lack of capital. There was nothing about money laundering or tax evasion or financial crimes, nothing. But again, the point is, I'm finally able to speak. The reason I'm talking about it now, it was very frustrating because all these customers are blaming us. Where's our money? We want our money. And I, I can't tell them that the, the Portuguese government has frozen the account because if I, if I tell you that I'm violating their money law, laundering laws and the lawyers are telling me that if I talk about it, it could screw it up and delay the return of the money even more. So I have to hold my tongue. But now that the investigation is over, right, then I can't compromise it. It's shut. They found no evidence of money laundering or tax evasion. So they close the investigation. The account is free. So now the only thing standing between the bank customers getting their money back uh, is Nova Bank in Portugal. That's it. That's your only roadblock. Hopefully we can clear that out and everybody will get their money back. Of course, everybody but me, right? I'm the big loser here uh, because I get nothing back. Basically, I had 10 million bucks invested in the bank. That's gone. I mean, well, can I get 100 or 200,000 back at the end of the day? Maybe, you know, Who knows i mean it's taken so long the bank has been kept in business i wanted the whole thing liquidated six seven eight months ago it's been dragged out i mean so all these costs continue to have to be paid out of whatever money might have been left over for me but of course i had the whole bank sold i had a much bigger payday coming of course i think the bank would have been worth a lot more than that had its reputation not been destroyed has my had my reputation not been destroyed Uh, by these false allegations. But you know, what really bothers me too is when when 60 Minutes came out with its original report and falsely accused me of money laundering and tax evasion and all this stuff, all sorts of newspapers all around the world wrote articles about it, like as if it was true, right? they, They just did more reports on these allegations, right? Now you've got an Australian court coming out and saying, 60 Minutes has no evidence to prove any of these allegations. So all the stuff they accuse Mr. Schiff of doing, they have no evidence that he actually did it, right? And so that comes out and none of the newspapers that reported on the allegations that 60 Minutes made, none of them have reported that those allegations were false or that 60 Minutes had absolutely no evidence at the time they made those allegations to have made them. Now, did, did Did they have a suspicion that maybe I I did these things? Sure, they might have had that suspicion, but you can't say somebody did something just because you suspect that they might have done it. You can't accuse somebody of being guilty of a crime that not only haven't they been uh, convicted of, that they haven't even been charged with. That's what 60 Minutes did. That's how bad their reporting was to just come out and declare somebody guilty of crimes that he hadn't even been charged with. right? And so that's a bigger story. I think what's bigger than the fact that they accused me of doing something wrong is the fact that they accused me of it while having no evidence that I actually did it. And then for the last two years, they've been dragging this out. They've been refusing to admit that they made a mistake. They haven't even taken down the defamatory content. You know, you can still go on their website for... 60 minutes that whole broadcast is there the whole thing is still up there on 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 their youtube channel right they've got a, a on the age website they've got a 3 minute condensed version still up they haven't even taken it down forget about apologize they haven't even taken down the content that has already been ruled defamatory and now a judge has ruled you have no evidence of truth because they claim truth and all that stuff is still up there so again nobody wants to tell the story Of what actually happened. Everybody wanted to write about the lie, but now that the lie has been exposed, nobody wants to write about the truth. And that's the state of the uh, world media today. That's why it's so important that people uh, watch shows like mine, right? Alternative media, the Peter Schiff show, because I always speak the truth, right? So whenever you listen to one of my podcasts or now watch them, you're gonna get the truth. And if I make a mistake, I'll own up to it, right? I'll be, hey, I got this wrong, right? I'm not going to just lie and then tell more lies to cover up my lies. I'm always gonna be honest. Anyway, that's it for tonight. I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast and uh, we got more coming, so stick around.